Well, welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Shanik. And I'm Corey. And we're so thankful that you're joining us today. We're so appreciative of our listeners. As a matter of fact, last week we had, I think, the second most downloaded week that is since we started the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Of course, I'm going to ask if you haven't shared this podcast with a friend, a do family it. member, go ahead and do that today, whether you text it to a friend or post it on socials. Man, I think that these are great um, just conversation starters yeah. for you to have to kind of dive into your faith journey or to maybe help someone else in their faith journey. And we got two new reviews. Thank you so much for those of you who have given us stars and written a review. If you haven't done so, do that. Go to Apple Podcasts, click on our podcast, give us a review. We appreciate that. We love that feedback as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have a great podcast scheduled for today, maybe a spicy Spicy. one a little bit, but uh, we're going to do our best to handle it with uh, just grace and truth. Um, But before we get there, we do have a question of the week. So here at Hill City this past week, it has been storage room clean out days. Get it out. And for those of you that know me, know that I try to be somewhat of a minimalist. I don't like clutter. I don't like a bunch of stuff. I'm actually not, I'm the opposite of a hoarder. I do not like to hoard things, hold on to things. Part of it, I think, is my giving nature. I just freaking want to give everything away. Is there another you know, church that can use this or are there people that can use this, you know, um, to help out their life or, you know, whatever. So I just like to give things away. So I've, even though it's a lot of work, like so all work. the stuff you gain in a year or, you know, last year when we had our, uh, storage room clean out days, we always run into those things like, well, let's keep it one more year. Let's see if we're <laughs> going to use it one more year. And then this year rolls around and we didn't use it at all. And yeah. so it's like, why do there's we still have a few this? things that were like, let's go, let's another round one more year. We're going to hold on to it one more year. But um, I was just kind of thinking today that uh, the question I would like to ask is this idea of have you ever thrown away something and regretted it? Because uh, I have something, but I want to hear from you first, Corey. Uh, honestly, this is tough for me to answer because I am a hoarder, specifically around clothes and things that have, what is it called? Like sentimental value. Sentimental value, yeah. for sure. Julia throws away all my stuff all the time. In fact, Recently, we cleaned out our storage room in our new house to make room for some stuff because we renovated our basement. And she threw away a Detroit Red Wings hat that was yellow, right? It was supposed to be white. It was yellow. It had stains on it. It is what it is. But she did not know that it was autographed. Mm. Do you know about who? Stevie Y, bro. Oh, I don't know who that is. Oh, my Sorry gosh. For the Detroit Red Wings godfather. Fans. He's also now the <laughs> general manager for the Detroit Red Wings. And, yeah, okay. it was signed underneath the bill, so she didn't see it, threw it out. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I don't throw stuff away. Yeah, you really don't. I think I remember, and I'm just going to throw you under the bus a little bit, like when you and Julia got married, like you had clothes you had even from when you were a teenager, like even like boxers, like a decade old old, and you wouldn't get rid of them. I got to be honest. We did a whole new, I I don't wear boxers that I wore in college anymore. I'm now boxer briefs, (laughs) you know, let it, let it ride. But there are stuff that I have, dress shirts, shoes that I've had since college. Yeah. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Yeah. No, it's all good. So anyway, for me, I was thinking about it just today and I actually got rid of, I didn't necessarily throw it away, but I had a class ring, you know, the ones that have the year on it. I can't believe you bought it. I'm judging you for even buying it. Well, the the thing is, I think my mom and dad bought it for me. (laughs) Actually, I know they did. 
And, you know, I graduated from restoration. Our colors were black and red. So it was a big red jewel on top. It had like 98 state champs with a little basketball on the side of it. Um, I don't know what was on the other side of it. It had my like name engraved on the inside. And honestly, I had it for a good probably 10 or 12 years. And again, we were just, I was cleaning out my closet one day. I'm like, literally, I have not worn this. Matter of fact, I didn't even wear it in high school. I got this thing. And then back in the day, it was in those of you that are a little bit older, you will know this. I gave it to Melanie because we were dating. And of course mm -hmm. she wrapped the string around the inside and make it fit her finger. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, I'm just going blast from the past today. But so I gave it to her. I don't think I ever wore it in my life. And it was just sitting on my shelf and I'm like, mm, I think I could get some money for the gold for that ring. So I did, I took it down to a jeweler and Hey, how can you, how much can you give me uh, for this? And they measured it. And I think I got, I don't even know at the time gold was really high. So it maybe been like 300 bucks just for the ring. My parents probably paid you like a thousand that? for it. I do regret it. Cause I, it's just one of those keepsake things. I'm like, I don't know, maybe just to have and it's weird bro. And to think back or dude, I don't know. I'm making fun of you in my head. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's the first thing that popped in my head that, I think I left and then I instant regret, like, what the heck? $300, like, what am I going to do with 300 That means nothing to me. <laughs> well, back then it probably meant a lot. I don't know, not really. You probably went to the casino and doubled up. Or maybe just, yeah, all on black and lost <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> that, so what are we talking about today? All right, well, in light of last week's conversation around this, this idea of living Christ-like, not just biblical, and how there was a difference between the two, we thought just it would be great for us to just talk about this idea of inerrancy. It's a big topic within uh, the Christian community. There's a lot of division around this idea of inerrancy. And so we just wanna talk about what it is, why it relates to this conversation of biblical or Christ-like from last week's conversation, and just unpack a few things for you to think about Mm -hmm. as you approach the conversation of inerrancy or if it gets brought up um, within conversation with people in your circles. And again, not that we want to give you information to like use dogmatically, right? Or use as a weapon. And we talked about this and I know you brought this up right away. Like we don't want to put out things where you use this uh, combatively with other people. These are just thoughts thoughts for you to, to yeah. process and to maybe wrestle with a little bit. And so, so yeah, so let's just, uh, get the yeah. conversation going. This probably I'm, will be two parts. I don't think we'll be able to get through yeah. everything. Today. We might leave you with a cliffhanger and for sure. I think we should. And it's worth the conversation to have again yeah. next week. Yeah. But I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking when you talk about a potentially controversial subject as this, so many times you have one of two people listening the one person that's listening because they fully disagree with the title of our headline podcast, yeah. whatever. And, Oh, what are they going to say about inerrancy? And I know what I believe. And so I'm going to listen just to pick it apart. And then you have the person that's listening. That's like, okay, I, I tend to agree with this, or I'm going to use this, like you said, as a weapon to go and dogmatically have conversations with family members, with friends, with colleagues. And so if you're going to use the information today, as a weapon, I'm going to encourage you right now just to turn off this episode and don't even listen because this is for educational purposes. I think you'll be shocked at some of the historic understanding of inerrancy and even the differences of what inerrancy means, depending on what denominational poll you come from or how you were raised or who you study. 
And so we're going to give you some information today. This is going to be more of an educational podcast in this part one uh, of where we even got this idea of inerrancy. And I know we've kind of talked about some of this stuff on previous podcasts. I know during our deconstruction series, we, we talk about Old Testament violence and how to reconcile some of that stuff. Uh, I know in our transition series, we actually wrote a book about this, and it'll take you 20 minutes to read. If you haven't gotten that book, we encourage you to get that. Reach out to us. We'll send it to you for free because we just believe in it. But on episode 34, when we talked about how to read the Bible, and we talked about God's progressive revelation throughout Scripture, it's a really good podcast maybe to go back to Mm -hmm. and use in correlation with today's episode on on inerrancy and whatnot. But we also recognize that people are going to disagree with this, and that's okay. Uh, but people will oftentimes oppose you through the lens of their study and training, not necessarily through their understanding of how the Spirit speaks and or revelation. They'll also love to say stuff like, um, oh, you know, the Bible clearly says, without recognizing the fact that we say that while there are thousands, so, depending on who you listen to, there's right. either 30, 40, or 50,000 different denominations, or even close to 100,000 different types of denominations. Right. And yeah. So does it really clearly say? Yeah, obviously we don't clearly know what the Bible clearly says, and everybody has their perspective of what they think the the Bible clearly says based on their denominational upbringing, and then they'll use it as a weapon to condemn people and say, no, the Bible clearly says this. And what people mean when they say this is the Bible clearly says my interpretation of the Bible, and it's clear to me, and I want to say it to you this way type of thing. And so inerrancy, in my opinion, causes a lot of problems with the biblical text, and we'll get into this maybe more next week. But inerrancy, honestly, man, we probably will talk about this today, but it ceases to be an explanation for the Scripture and begins to be a problem to defend. And when we get in defending Scripture, in my opinion, this is why many millennials and Gen Zs are walking away from church is around this topic because they might disagree with something that's in Scripture, and then they'll have somebody saying, well, the Bible is inerrant in everything it says without recognizing that there are contradictions, and what do you do with those contradictions? And how yeah. many contradictions or mistakes and errors do you need for it to really dissect what you believe yeah. about And inerrancy? then the, it, the problem is people just blanket statement it, and the Bible is inerrant and never have studied out or critically thought about some of the discrepancies or places. And we brought this out on that previous podcast, a few, a few things that, you know, were in contradiction and how do you reconcile that? These are things we have to be thinking through Mm -hmm. because when someone comes to us with a question or what about this, we can't just give them the answer. Well, no, the Bible is without error. It's an errant and you just have to take it at its word. But then it's like, well, people wrestle with it and we can't like have the conversation and let's dissect this. Why are we thinking like this? Why, why do we approach scripture this way? And can there be other, you know, views and perspectives of whatever it is that the words on the pages are saying? And so I actually love, um, it's Don Francisco. He actually has this quote. He says in our foolish attempts to defend the faith, speaking of, you know, defending inerrancy, in our foolish attempts to defend the faith, we have turned the scriptures into a solid piece of cement and blocked the doorway to life with it. The Bible is many wonderful things, but it is not the word of God. Only the father's beloved son is hmm. right. John one, yeah. right in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. But then you go on to verse 14 and the word became 
flesh, flesh mm-hmm. and dwelt among us. Yeah. And so it is the son, Jesus. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and thinking about Jesus, he didn't feel the need to defend himself. You know, think about it. He was too busy loving the people that society looked down on. And most of us, I would have to say, have been just entrenched in our beliefs about being right so long that all we do really is automatically just debate or defend rather than have conversation and be in dialogue um, with maybe the people that have a uh, conflicting view or an opposing view or maybe just see things differently in their present belief system. Mm-hmm. And instead we put up that wall of defense and, and just shut them out. And like, like that quote said, we just block the doorway to life. And I love how yeah. he put that. Yeah. Cause many of us are in fear that we might see something that conflicts with our present beliefs and what will that do? And will that cause us to grow? And, uh, man, I, I was at a conference a couple years ago. I'm not going to say the speaker. He was one of my friends. He was, he wasn't the keynote speaker, but he was hosting the conference. And so he had a slot and, it was, I think, 2015, because I was here, and I, I went up to this little mini conference for youth, and he said during his sermon, because inerrancy was a hot topic, which inerrancy has been a hot topic for about five or six years, specifically, and he said, believe in inerrancy, or you suck, and I remember thinking, like, that is how we've approached this topic, yeah. and it's just been passed down to pass down, pass down, and we're going to tell you why, because actually, we're going to impact. What is inerrancy? And I think you'll be shocked. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad four... we're doing this now. Maybe we should have started with this because yeah. maybe we have a lot of listeners. We're saying this word inerrancy and inerrant, like what even is that? So let's yeah. unpack that. For so them. inerrancy, um, there's actually different kinds of inerrancy, like biblical inerrancy. You have the hyper literalist, which is like, look at the story of Jonah. Jonah is real every aspect of Jonah. And then you have the non-literalist view of inerrancy, which is Jonah is not necessarily a true story. It's a non-literal story. It just has a greater principle or truth within it. And honestly, the story of Jonah is about God's grace. If you read chapter four there, you'll figure it out. And so that is actually an accepted view in academia is a non-literalist a view of inerrancy, which actually makes a lot of, a lot of sense. And there's four ways to read a text um, from an academia standpoint, there's the literal historical meaning, which a lot of people will be like, no, the Bible is inerrant in everything it teaches historical. And it's always literal because, you know, Jesus is a lamb yeah, by in heaven. Yeah. Little woolly creature. I didn't mean to make fun of that view because that view does have a, there's a lot of good historical aspects of, right, of scripture. Absolutely. Then there's the allegorical or the, in other words, Christological. Christological meaning. And this is like, how does this specific passage of sense make Christ better? Right, so to speak, and then you have the moral meaning of scripture, and that's like a reflective, like what does this have to do with me in my life and my moral standing, and then you have the uh, analogical. I, it's not analogical; it's the anagogical. Oh, An- anagogical, anagogical. I had to look this up because I didn't actually know this. It, it is why stay Christian, and what's in the future, and how is this going to end? And that's like futuristic stuff. That's a simple definition of it. It's much more complex than that. But those are four different ways to read specific scriptures. And and then you have people on both sides arguing about, you know, their hyper-literalist inerrancy form and the non-literalist inerrancy form, and then the people that just don't think it's inerrant at all. And so inerrancy simply means the Bible is without error. All the words are inspired by God, and if this is true, then it must be free from error. 
And uh, people will even say this, and I'm going to be critical about it in in, a, in this episode and a little bit later, but they'll say scripture in the original manuscripts and hint on original manuscripts. They'll say scripture in the original manuscripts do not confirm anything that is contrary to fact. Fact. And lastly, uh, Kevin Van Hooser, he's actually a theologian and a historian. He says this, I think he teaches at Wheaton, I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, or used to, I think he's retired now. He said, God's authoritative word is wholly true and trustworthy in everything it claims about what was, what is, and what will be. And if we're being critical of those last two, I'll say like that Kevin Van Hooser's definition does not really help because what the Bible claims is very broad and requires a lot of discussion, especially if we're going back to the four different views to look at specific passages, and the fact that there are thousands and thousands of different types of denominations, and each one believing it lines up with the original manuscripts, which, by the way, I'll give you a little sinker, we don't have the original manuscripts. So, all that to say, those are typical views on on what is inerrancy. Uh, in fact, the yeah. Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy came out in 1978, and this is where most people today have gotten their view of inerrancy through the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, their model. Right, because a group got together and said, okay, we're going to have to address this because there are many different differing opinions and beliefs and things floating out there. So let's try to get control over this, right? Have an authoritative word mm -hmm. on the Bible being the authoritative word, which is just, I don't know, it's really ironic to me anyway. There's a lot of irony. But basically it it boils down to five things. Mm -hmm. and, and here's what the Chicago statement reads on biblical inerrancy. Uh, the first thing is God only speaks error free truth. We'll come back to that. The second thing, the Bible is inerrant or without error in all it touches and affirms. It includes all matters of science, world history, and authorship of books. The Holy Spirit helps us accept the Bible as inerrant. And then lastly, biblical authority rests on inerrancy. And to deny inerrancy is to deny Christ. Yeah. But uh, we got to unpack just a few of these yeah. real quick. Because I'm going to go back to what you said in all the different denominations that we have. And when someone says, you know, God's authoritative word is wholly true and trustworthy in everything it claims. Well, some people think that it claims different things. Mm -hmm. So whenever the Chicago statement says God only speaks air free truth. Well, what is that person's opinion of who God is mm -hmm. and what is actually from God? What is air free and what's not who decides that ultimately who decides then what the truth is, because you'll have different people on different spectrums of denominationalism and one of them sees truth as one way. The other person sees truth as an exact opposite yeah. way. You have this even within the scriptures. Yeah. Paul argues with different authors of scriptures and saying that they got it wrong. He literally says that in Hebrews, I think, chapter 8. Uh, even Paul and James's view of Abraham, they had different perspectives on the text, which is crazy. So like that, that fourth one actually triggers me a lot. Actually, the fourth and the fifth one triggers me a lot when it says, you know, Holy Spirit accept, or helps us accept the Bible as an errant. Because by saying that statement, you don't realize that if we disagree with that, then you're claiming that we don't possess the Spirit. Right. Because that's my biggest problem with any of it, because if we believe that we are um, full of the Spirit, like, right, like Jesus said, the same Spirit that lives in you is the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, right? 
And so if we are spirit led people that have the Holy Spirit, if we believe in this triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit, Jesus himself says that he is not only the comforter, but he will not only testify to the truth, but he will guide us into all truth. Mm -hmm. So are we going to trust the Holy Spirit in our lives and other people's lives or not? Or do we think we have to come alongside and control people by offering dogmatic things such as, you know, everything has to point to the Bible. Matter of fact, the fifth thing is what really triggers me. You said the fourth one, but the fifth, the fifth thing in that statement on, you know, to deny inerrancy is to deny Christ. Mm -hmm. Like, Really? That's the ultimate form of manipulation, control, and fear language. Yeah. And anything that has fear language is something you should question. Because and people will say this, and maybe we'll unpack this at a later time. Maybe I wrote the note. But when people say, um, oh, you just don't value Scripture or study it enough. And I think to wrestle with it or to, to question it, the, the whole doctrine of inerrancy actually requires more responsibility and more study because you are looking at the scriptures and recognizing that there are discrepancies and there are different opinions and there are different truths that are shared depending on who is writing and why. And sometimes you hear from God and sometimes you heard from an angry prophet who spoke on behalf of God and it's, God and it's written in scripture. Yeah. And so, well, yeah. Well, here's, I want to I stay here for a second because this is how crazy some of this thing, some of these statements are. To deny inerrancy is to deny Christ. Think about this. So the same people that came up with this Chicago statement are also people that are, and I know them, they're very mission minded. Mm -hmm. They are very less than people all over the world, man. People need to hear about the good news of Jesus. And so you, you're going to share Jesus with people that one have never heard of him. Mm -hmm. And then number two, some of them have never even seen a Bible, read a Bible. Some of them don't even have the Bible interpreted, interpreted in their language. And so you mean to tell, you're going to tell those people, Hey, I want you to come to Jesus. But now that you've accepted him, you really didn't accept him. If you deny that the Bible is inerrant, Mm -hmm. like, let's think about critically how crazy that is. Yeah. And what did the process, what did the early church do for the first 1500 years without the written word? Yeah. People don't with those churches having individual letters, but so that's what inerrancy is. And obviously you can tell a little bit by our language that some of this stuff triggers us. And I, I, I do want to be fair because there are some good valid things yeah. in the conversation. And I do, I want you to hear this. I value scripture, read scripture, love the scripture. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. And we, and we brought, had to bring this up last week yeah. and I, I still want to continue to plug that, man, we are people who love scripture, who faithfully, I would say, read our Bible and study the, the scriptures and try to glean everything that we can um, from them. And we do see Christ in them and they encourage me and give me peace. All of these yeah. things. Yeah. But we sure. have to, we just have to have our um, thumb on the pulse, so to speak, on this conversation because yeah. younger people are asking it, especially those that are in this young adult phase and they're in college or starting out their careers and family, they're trying to figure out cause they don't just want their mom and dad's yeah. faith. They want to have their own. And so we have to be, you know, up to speed, so to speak yeah. on the conversation for sure. And so we'll close this episode with this. Um, if you've lasted this long and you're either triggered or you're loving it, here's actually the inerrancy's roots the American roots and why it is held so strongly. And I actually got some of this information from Pete Eanes. He's a theologian who has done a whole lot of conversation around the topic of inerrancy. And these five things are really good. So why don't you take away with the first one? Yeah. So the first one is people will claim that the early church taught it such as Augustine, 
who is quoted as saying, the Bible is without error. Mm-hmm. However, the kind of inerrancy Augustine taught is not aligned with the hyperliterist viewpoint because he even wrote about Genesis 1 in his book titled The Literal Meaning of Genesis, that it is a disgraceful and dangerous thing for an infidel Meaning to a hear. Christian. Yeah, some, yeah, someone who's <laughs> not a believer. An infidel. <laughs> for an infidel to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, talking nonsense on these cosmological topics, and we should all take means to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people who um, basically they are kind of what in ignorance um, as to what it means to be a Christian and laugh it to scorn. In other words, don't explain creation in Genesis one as a scientific explanation. Yeah. You'll get in the scientific world. That is like, it, it embarrasses everybody. Honestly, the early church conversation around inerrancy had a lot of flexibility in the conversation because inerrancy again uh, didn't wasn't like a thing in the first century. It wasn't a thing like in the early church. In fact, it really began a thing with the Reformation in the 15th and 16th century, and they came up with this phrase "sola scriptura." Okay, mm-hmm. and if we're in the Louisville area, this thing is said a lot because you got Southeast uh, or not Southeast uh, Southern Baptist Southern Seminary. Baptist Seminary. And you have a lot of the reformed people, you know, T4G comes to this city every single two or three years and they'll use this and that, that sola scriptura, I think it's a Latin phrase. It means scripture alone is our standard of conduct. The problem this is, is once scripture is elevated to this place, it leaves no real room for dialogue or disagreement because the Bible is therefore clear. And obviously we've already discussed the Bible is not always clear. People began to look at the Bible long enough to find the inerrant true meaning. However, a single passage can have many different meanings. That's what, again, we talked about the four different ways that you can look at Scripture. And so, again, and this isn't an argument saying that, oh, well, inerrancy is not a thing because of it. But when you have this sola scriptura ideology, you're forgetting that it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yep. Two different things. Yeah, and then the next thing on this is the Enlightenment era. So basically 18th, 19th centuries, right? In the era of scientific development, um, basically in that time frame, right? They use logic and reasoning. And this pushed many Christians into a corner and created this ideology that we needed to defend the faith. So when ideas were challenged, like the flood of Noah, many people cling on to their belief even stronger. And basically this is also known as the backfire effect. I know. I think we talked about this in a previous right? when, episode. When people's belief in something that is misinformed gets stronger, actually after being shown evidence that it's wrong or evidence contrary to their held on belief. Mm-hmm. So basically in other words, when the act of correcting misinformation, it actually makes that belief system or whatever stronger in that person. And just so you know, a lot of this is still debated, and I don't know my opinions on a lot of this, but a lot of biblical theologians and historians will say there is a lot of stories in the Old Testament that weren't necessarily true or factual like we read them. For example, that story of Jonah, but they had greater greater principles revealed. And they were like stories or like Old Testament parables, how Jesus used New Testament parables to explain false stories or not real stories with a greater true principle. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it does. And but would you also say that if people want to hold on to those things, that's okay. And if you want to sure. hold on that Joan is a literal story, like for sure. hold on to it. Yeah. Hold on to it. It's okay. It's but what we're saying is there's other people that might not. Yeah. And we can't just immediately put up that wall, put up the and defense. Dismiss them. Let's listen to them. And if how they view it as a, like maybe a story of uh, what is it, an allegory, 
then basically, you know, if that helps them find Jesus and to see the principle of grace in that story or it propels them towards, you know, uh, things of the kingdom, like why are you wanting to put up that wall of defense or to shatter them or try to, you know, come against them in any yeah. way? Yeah. This is my favorite. Okay. This belief in inerrancy is really rooted in American Christian culture. And I did not know this until I took P. Dean's class, but he talked about the fact that church historian Mark Knoll, who he taught at Wheaton and is now retired, he explains that when America was colonized, there was no state church, you know, kind of the point of America being separating separating from from England, England, right? The Bible became prominent in America in, in a way that was not prominent in Europe which is interesting if you want to study that. I would encourage, encourage you to do so. So when the Christian movement moved west in America to spread the gospel, they couldn't give the church authority because, hello, there was separation of church and state. And that type of authority in England united people. So how are we going to unite the American version of Christ? Right, because in England they had the Church of England, they and that the was Church the authoritative which, thing. Which, again, had its own problems because right. you could be authoritative from a governmental standpoint, right. and they wanted to get away with that, and I agree. Right. You should get away with that. However, instead of uniting the church, um, uh, instead, they, instead they united the church around the idea of, ding, 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 inerrancy which was a way of controlling the people. Why? Because not everybody had a Bible. It was the priest's way or the pastor's way of being able to be dogmatic or control people or fearmonger and get them to believe whatever he said was true in his own interpretation of Scripture. That is crazy. When I learned that, I was like, it actually kind of makes sense why inerrancy, so many people hold on to it yeah. and defend Whenever it. Whenever you shared that with me, it was so interesting. And it kind of makes sense Yeah, for real. So what's the last one? The appeal of intellectual certainty, which, you know, uh, we, speaking of Pete Eanes, he, he wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty. I thought it was very interesting. You should definitely read that book. It'll cause you to grow in a lot of different areas and challenge a lot of your viewpoints. But the appeal of intellectual certainty, which then creates the modern claim, without an inerrant Bible, how can we be sure about anything? And I think that question is valid. I just don't think that's a starting point. I think you arrive there. I think you get there with time and study, but I, I don't think that's a healthy place to start. And so, yeah, certainty is, is, in my opinion, I mean, faith literally requires uncertainty. That's why they call it faith. Right. But way too many Christians hold on to their faith with like, no, this is 100% fact, even though they weren't even there at the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection, but none of us were there to experience the resurrection. So I'm believing on a testimony of people who carried that belief orally and then put it to paper years after the event actually happened. And yes, I believe it not just because it's written, but because I've had a real life experience with, in my opinion, the creator of the universe. Yeah. And I would say the same. And I was actually going to save that story for next week. So you'll have to join us next week because I do want to talk about my personal journey in this and talk about what I hold on to as my experience with Jesus and we hope you uh, come back next week yeah. for part two of inerrancy. We'll talk about life after inerrancy. We'll talk about some of the problems with inerrancy. We're going to dissect that original manuscripts in greater detail because here's the, here's a little assignment for you. Go to church websites that you know of and what they believe. Go down to the Bible and see if they have said something along the lines of, 
we yes. believe God inspired the original writings or the original manuscripts. That actually became a thing that was written, that was encouraged by the Gospel Coalition around mid-2015, 2016. And churches started to take that phrase because who can argue with original manuscripts when most people reading that don't even realize that we don't even have them. So there's a little food for thought for this week. But yeah, we'll dive into this next week. Yeah, we'll hope to see you then. Yeah, you're loved that, and there's you're, nothing you can do about it. Oh, did loved. you want to say I it? did want to sign off this week. I wanted to sign off. All right. Let's do it together. All right. Like a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. You're, you're loved, loved and, and there's, there's nothing, nothing you can, can do about, about it. it.